I don't know why we keep spending so much of each show on football when one of the most historic seasons in baseball history is happening right before our eyes right now. Come on, we have to talk about Aaron Judge. I can't think of anything less underdoggy than a home run hitter who stands seven feet tall for the New York Yankees. Well, but of course, the narrative that New York media and Yankee fans and writers and TV analysts are building around this is that 61 home runs is the Yankee record and the American uh, League record. Just threw up in my mouth. What they want to say, and they're, they're just not quite capable of saying it, is that it's the real record. True record. Right, that the McGuire-Sosa-Bonds numbers don't count because – their minds were blown because they couldn't statistically adjust or numerically or mathematically adjust in their minds for what was happening during the anabolics era. They decided to retreat to making moral judgments, and they just want to erase that period of history. And so somehow Aaron Judge, this titanic Yankee slugger, has become like the revenge of the little people. I mean, give me a break. He has 57 home runs. That's 20 more than the next highest guy. That wasn't happening in the steroid era. He is dominating this era in a way we haven't seen. And on a plucky underdog Ugh. like the New York Yankees, starting players like Oswaldo Cabrera and Marwin Gonzalez, he's going to carry them to a division title. You don't get to call a team plucky just because they traded for Isaiah Kainer-Falefa. I mean, come on. <laughs> just because they've lost the knack for developing talent outside the bullpen doesn't make them plucky. You know who they developed, Peter? Aaron frickin' Judge. Eight to shoot. Paul, the runner! Loose ball! It's good! With 4.4 to go! Shannon! Don't want to foul! Shannon! From the corner! It's over! Gonzaga! The flipper still fits! The cry goes up both far and near for underdog! 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 Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sidelight. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my kid, I ain't even in the guys league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog! Underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby! Red strike and a stunning, unbelievable upset! Shock it all in college basketball! Underdog! Underdog! I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to show. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! By George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder. Underdog. I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. Welcome to Underdogs. I'm Tom Haverstrow, your co-host, along with Jordan Brenner and Peter Keating. 
We have Danny Sheridan on the show. Lord Sheridan, the most famous handicapper in the world on football and college football. He's from Mobile, Alabama. He talks about a lot of things. Let's just be honest, just a lot. We're going to talk football lines, the dogs of the week, and we'll talk about App State, the big upset, Texas A&M taking down that squad and then stealing the college game day from underneath them and some other college football stuff. But let's just get right to the main show, guys. Peter, Jordan, it's Danny Sheridan time. All right. I am super pumped for our next guest here on the Underdogs podcast. He might be the most famous handicapper out there in the entire business. Danny Sheridan, welcome to the show. It's great to be on the show, John. And I'll try to uphold my end. We've been talking for quite a bit, getting you on the show, and we tried to get you week one, and you said you were busy. And so now that it's going into week two, crazy week one, we just saw another upset, you know, on Monday Night Football. How did you feel about how week one went in the NFL season? Well, as I've I've written in several articles, Tom, which you're aware of, I think, I always say, the underdog every week. I pick probably one or two pro games. That's it. And maybe three to five college games. When you ask me about week one in the NFL, I, no surprise here. Home underdogs won a little bit more than they should. And uh, I think the road underdogs split. But what I generally do, teams, and I did this last year, it was really successful. Teams that are six, this is NFL, teams that are six-point underdogs on the road were a crisp 65% against the spread, six or less. That's pretty strong. And on overall, road underdogs in the NFL last year were 55% against the spread. And as you know, 55% can make you a lot of money. I'm not suggesting taking every road underdog, but I do love the road underdogs six points or less, and I think they'll continue to do well. There are many reasons for that, but uh, it works for me. That's a garrulous answer for you. Why six or less? What's the threshold there? What changes in your mind when you get to that number? Well, it just means to me it's more competitive. As you know, the people that put out the odds, they want equal betting on both sides. So the favorites are very inflated in the NFL, especially the name teams. So when I see a team that's six points or less – to me, that tells me it's going. To, it has the potential of being a competitive game. And last year, it was a competitive game about sixty-five percent of the time. It was unbelievable. But that's that's the way I feel about it. And I also believe the seventeen, this new seventeen-game schedule, is in less one exhibition game, is taking a wear and tear toll on the players. And as you get into the season, they're just not acclimated to that. At least I don't think they are. And uh, just makes the points even more attractive. Probably 85% of people that bet the NFL bet favorites. What does that mean? Eight out of 10 of those people probably, oh, no, excuse me. I'd say about 85% bet favorites. And maybe one out of 1,000 wins money betting the NFL. That tells me that the favorites are overpriced because the bookmakers just want equal betting on both sides. And I just love it. For example, I was going to try to uh, Atlanta last week. I thought Atlanta should have been probably, in my mind, a three-point underdog. They always play New Orleans tough. Well, the betting line opened four and a half. The public bet 
New Orleans, and I think it, the game time was five and a half. Well, to me, that's too many points. And, of course, I got lucky there. But these are examples that I use. I love home underdogs. Certainly don't ignore them. But, again, I think the best by far, if you want to win in the NFL, you have to take road underdogs. You get the best numbers by far. Because, again, the general public will heavily bet the favorites. Well, if you like road underdogs, this is the week for you because we've got a massive number of huge lines. So you've got the Seahawks getting nine and a half at San Francisco. You've got those same Falcons getting 10 and a half at the Rams. You've got the Texans getting 10 at Denver. The Bears getting nine and a half at Green Bay. And the Titans getting 10 at Buffalo. Have you ever seen such big lines, so many big lines, in week two? And do you think it's an overreaction to week one? What do you think accounts for it? Well, it's definitely an overreaction. But when you mention all those underdogs, normally I would say, boy, this is wonderful. But I have to I have to temper my thing and tell me, and look at it and say, wait a minute, let's see. The Rams, normally I'd be on the Falcons. But I usually dismiss a game like that because the Rams got upset. They got destroyed, embarrassed on, Monday, on uh, Thursday night. Uh, San Francisco got embarrassed by Chicago. So I, I want a team that won in week one and there's a home favorite. Uh, Denver, they were embarrassed. Normally I would be on Houston. So I guess the only one, well, no, the Raiders also lost. I was going to say Arizona is probably a really good choice. I don't make my, I don't get out of my dartboard until Sunday morning. That's when I pick the NFL games. In colleges, I pick Saturday morning, pick them all day Saturday for my clients. But just, answer to your question is next week you'll have better I think you'll have better home underdogs or excuse me better road underdogs and again my reasoning is I don't want it to go against a favorite that's lost the week before uh, Green Bay I'm thinking man 10 points in Chicago but Green Bay was humiliated so I don't want any part of the game that I don't know if that makes sense to you but I believe the game is 90 percent emotion and I want to take a team that is going to give a hundred percent against a team that I feel, for whatever reason, will give about 85 or 90%. Obviously, it works in the pros, and it works really well for me in the colleges because of all the emotion. Everything you just said does leave that Tennessee-Buffalo game hanging out there as an attractive... I mean, if there's ever a team that felt it should have won but didn't, I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee lost because of a couple of broken plays and a missed field goal and Buffalo, I think Buffalo's still scoring. So, I mean, if there's ever a, a, a <laughs> kind of a 110% versus 88% effort game where the spread is double digits, that that looks pretty looks pretty tasty. I can't tell you what I'll pick, but you either take Tennessee or you pass the game. I think your, your points are excellent, and that's what I look for. I would have felt a little bit better if Tennessee showed me something. They look so bad, not just – I mean, they, they played awful, but they played overconfident. And I think they're a better team, as you do, than they they showed. Uh, Buffalo, uh, I don't see them getting up as high as they did for the Rams. Uh, I could go on and on about Like One of my things is always go against the Super Bowl winner and the Super Bowl runner-up the first four weeks of the season. Well, both of them failed to cover the spread. Cincinnati lost. Both of them lost outright. So there's a – again, you make a good point. And I just can't see Buffalo getting excited for Tennessee. Well, to be fair, Danny, the, the Titans were playing against the future Super Bowl champion, New York Giants. So, <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> 
that's funny you said that because it was a perfect example. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I forgot about it. I'm thinking about this week, but the Giants were getting, and the Giants, I still, they're a very well coached team, but Daniel Jones absolutely frightens me, their quarterback. But there's yes. a perfect <laughs> example of five, plus five and a half on the road, less than six. And so that was a good pick. I also picked them too, but they weren't one of my favorite picks. Atlanta was. So Danny, have you ever bet a favorite? Like when was the last time you bet a favor or gave a pick on a favorite? Because you just said that you only like to make picks on, on underdogs, which makes you the patron saint of this podcast. So when was the last time you gave a pick on a favorite? And is there a story behind why you just refuse to do favorites? No, I can answer that's easy. First of all, I don't bet on sports. And thank God people do, because I make a wonderful living that they do bet on sports. And I may be talking to a couple of them right now. But my point is, I think when I pick a game, it's not the quarterback's fault that he threw an interception. It's my fault if I pick it wrong. Betters don't think like that. They, they're they like, I, I assume some of you are New York Giant fans. And you just, I'm an Alabama graduate, and I absolutely loved Texas last week. I didn't like them at 17, but hell, when it went to 21. But my point is, I don't bet, and that makes me objective. And a lot of these guys that claim to be good handicappers, they're former betters that couldn't beat the spread, so now they're selling the goose that lays the golden egg. So, But the answer to your question is, as a handicapper, because favorites are overvalued, I never pick a favorite during the regular season. The only time I pick favorites would be in the pro playoffs, the college bowls, or, the, of course, the Super Bowl. And that's it. And if you pick favorites during the regular season, I don't mean you personally, but if a better does, you're going to get killed. It's not that all favorites lose, but you just can't believe all that crap. I mean, Alabama's got a great team. I went to school there, and they're reading how wonderful they are. And they're going down to Texas at 11 in the morning. Field temperature is going to be about 125. You can't practice for that. And again, I never, never dreamed to be that close, but I just thought there's no way Sarkeesian, the former Alabama offensive coordinator, he knows Saban, he knows that defense, and they should have won the game. Uh, now the question is talk about emotion. What does Texas do this week against uh, Texas San Antonio? I think they go. I don't say they go in the tank, but I'm really tempted early on. I'm looking at that game. I look at about 20 games a week in college, and then I'll call them down to maybe three to five on Saturday. But that's one of them I'm looking at, figuring that there's no way in hell Texas is going to get up again. And they're laying about 13, 13 and a half points against UTSA. Uh, again, I don't know where. I guess they're in San Antonio because it's. University of Texas San Antonio. <laughs> hey, that that's a good bet. That probably is. Otherwise, I'd have no way of knowing. But next week, Texas <laughs> plays Texas Tech. I mean, they don't like Texas Tech. Texas Tech hates them. So I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's like a sandwich game. Uh, Alabama's a sandwich game, and I would normally be all over Louisiana Monroe. Alabama comes off a tough game. Then they have an SEC opponent next. The problem is. I don't consider him an SEC opponent. It's Vanderbilt. <laughs> Wait a minute, but Vanderbilt, but Wake Forest. Wait, Wake just Forest had a huge win. Yeah, my my alma mater. You just said it's a vacated victory. You crapped all over their big win, Danny. How dare you? I love sandwich games, especially before Thanksgiving weekend. But going back to Alabama, 
I'm going to probably pick Louisiana Monroe plus 49 or 49.5. I don't like doing it because they're playing Vanderbilt, and Alabama does not care about Vanderbilt. If they're playing Mississippi State, this would be, I don't believe in locks, but this would be a great early pick. But if you look at the sandwich games, especially in the SEC, where they play some team I never heard of, before an SEC came the next week and they're coming off a week, it's really a really smart play. But betters won't do that. I don't like to pick secretariat. I like to pick the broken down nags because I get a lot of points, more points than I should. And again, it works for me. If you ask me to pick 10 games this weekend in college, I'd be lucky to pick four right. But if you'll let me pick my favorite three to five games a week against the spread, I think I'm going to win. And I've been really lucky since I lowered my picks from three to five games from I used to pick seven or eight. I've had a, an awful lot of luck the last 20-something years doing that. And the same in the pros. If you ask me to pick five pro games, I'd be lucky to pick two of them right. But if you'll let me pick one or two, the way I think and the way I wrote about it in Cigar Magazine, I'm going to be, I think, I think I'll become a winner. Pros are a lot tougher. I do really well in college. I would say I probably win every other year in the pros, but when you put them both together, I generally do well. And for some reason, I'm very lucky in the Super Bowl, and I wrote an article about what I do and how I handicap it. And no one believes it. They think I just made it up, but that's another story. (laughs) Back up a second, because we are not a gambling podcast per se. So just explain to our listeners, because you said you don't bet, and they're probably listening. What do you mean? He's, He's picking games. Of course, that's betting. So you make picks. What do you do with the picks, and why don't you actually bet on them? Well, that's it. You make a good point. I probably have millions of dollars bet every weekend by my clients and my clients are they're very they've been supportive of me for 30 something years and I don't bet again because I'm a I think you're not objective if you bet but the answer to your question is yeah I do have if I if I'm wrong my clients are not going to renew with me they pay me up front the entire year in advance no one does that in the industry and and you are correct I do have, I'm, I'm not betting on those picks. I'm, I'm like, a, I don't know if you want to say a stock market analyst. He tells you what he thinks and you either take his advice or you don't. Well, I'm paid handsomely for my advice. I take it very seriously. And again, yes, my clients, there's no question they're betting millions of dollars, not per person overall on my picks. And I better be right. So I guess you could say I'm betting, but I'm not betting because I'm not going to, I'll lose clients the next year if I have a bad season. And luckily since I, and by the way, not that this matters, but that 20 years ago or 22 years ago, I would have a good season, a bad season. And I decided I can't handicap all these games and apply the logic that I apply. So what did I do? I wrote my clients and said, I'm not giving you the Monday night game. I'm not, I'm only going to pick what I like. I would say I lost 80% of my clients dollar wise. The 20% that remained paid more than the 80% that I lost. (laughs) So I got lucky. You see saying instead of spreading the money around, which I think mathematically and most people would think would tend to limit your downside. You're real. What you're saying is you're so good at figuring out overpricing that if you limit your picks to your top handful or even fewer, you're going to do better than if you had to pick across a broad spectrum. Without question, if you, I don't know if you gentlemen go to casinos, but 
I'm a card counter, so I can't play blackjack. But if you play blackjack for, and I think you would agree with this, I hope you would agree with it. You play blackjack for, let's say, an hour. You possibly could win if you're not a card counter. But if you play for six hours, you have no chance. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. I'm applying that to football. If you bet the board, like some of my clients, I won't brag on my clients, but they're crazy. I mean, they love betting football. (laughs) They don't need the money, I promise you. And what we tell them is, look, if you want to bet 10 games, I'll just make up a figure. Say you're a $500 better and you want to bet 10 games, play the picks that Danny puts out, you know, for whatever you want to do, 500 or whatever you want to do a game. And the other 10 games, bet $50 a game. You'll get the same action, but don't. Whatever you do, don't start spreading that board and chasing them and Monday. I couldn't care less if a game is on Thursday night or Sunday night or Monday. That means nothing to me. In fact, I'd prefer not to not to be on TV. I prefer the you know, like Marshall. One game I'm looking at, Marshall upset. I think it was Nebraska. Well, now Marshall's playing lowly Bowling Green at Bowling Green. I'm looking at Bowling Green. Nobody in their right—I don't mean this to brag to you—but no better in their right mind would take Bowling Green. And I understand that. But I'm going to look at, I don't know what they did. If Marshall beat the hell out of them last year, I don't know. I don't know who Marshall's playing the week before. But Bowling Green would be one of my good choices if they got slaughtered last year by Marshall. I don't even know if they played them. I think they did. And if Marshall's looking ahead, still celebrating, you know, reading the headlines. And that's what I look for in college football. In the NFL, you mentioned the New York Giants. Y'all are fans of the Giants. Say the Giants uh, – open at home. I, I don't know who plays who first. Say they lose to Philadelphia and lose the spread the first game. I promise you, you take the Giants, you bet on them the second game and the points because it's just, it, when I say emotion, it's pride. If the Giants lose at home and they're going to Philadelphia, I'm all over the Giants. It's like a double bet. If the Giants lose the spread at home, that's a different story. I still would take them on the road against a division rival. And there's a reason why Division rivals do not beat the spread twice in a season. Some do, but if you look at it, not many do. And you would say, well, why is that? It's because of emotion. When you get your butt beat at your house and now you're going on the road against your division rival, you're going to play, a, you're going to come in at 100% and they're going to come in at about 90%, especially if you're the Giants and not winning when you roll into Philadelphia. And conversely, if Philadelphia beats the hell out of the Giants at home, I'll definitely take the Giants. I'll give them a good look when they play at home. I prefer a team that's losing, getting harassed in the papers, and just the opposite, a team like Alabama where everybody's kissing their butt. This is the best team, you know, since sliced bread. And I'm thinking, (laughs) what the hell is Texas thinking? So, Danny, how often do you look closely at specific situations to determine whether they will be exceptions to these general rules? It's interesting you mentioned the Giants. I'm glad we are now have the confidence to say that if the Giants lose to Philadelphia, they'll come out and play with more emotion. But for the last <laughs> couple of years, they played without emotion, without smart coaching, and there was no limit to the number of floors they would break on their way down. And they didn't rebound. And so betting on that team to rebound would actually lose. I'm just wondering, are there cases that you'll take off the board, you know, like the Patriots when they were great? They, were they were they were they just not prone to sandwich game you know sandwich game upsets to the point where you wouldn't treat them as a special case 
Or are you, you confident that this stuff applies across the board all the time? Well, to me, there are no sandwich games. I guess you could make an argument in the NFL. It's more college. But let's talk about the Patriots. Every year, and I love the Patriots. They've been wonderful to me. But every year, they would go to Buffalo. And when they would pound Buffalo, I mean, beat the hell out of like 34 to nothing. Yours truly would take Buffalo when they went to New England, plus 14, some crazy line. And the final score would be like, 12 to 7 or something like that. And if you look if you look at the Giants, I'd beg to differ with you. I picked them. I can't remember if it was the Dallas game, but if Dallas, and could, of course Dallas is without Dak Prescott, so it's not a good example, but if Dallas beat the hell out of the Giants in New York last year, I'd be all over the Giants and the points. Not because it's not just emotion, it's pride. It's the same thing. And I promise you, and you know this, and you guys may be former athletes, you got a lot of pride and you get your ass beat and you're a pro professional athlete, you're going to play hard against your division rival anyway. But when you lose that first game, you're going to play hard. And all I care about is, I don't, I don't mean this to be a mercenary, but I don't care if the Giants or, who, or Alabama, I don't care if they win as long as they beat the spread and I picked them. That's all I'm concerned about. And that's the equalizer. And again, that's what I look for. I hope that makes sense, but I promise you, I don't care if it's San Diego beats the hell out of, out of the Raiders. Give me the Raiders in the rematch. I won't pick the first game. And it goes. It was unbelievable when New England – I'm glad you mentioned New England because I, I made up. I can't tell you how many times I took Miami at home in the humidity when New England rolled to town after beating the hell out of Miami up there. <laughs> and, like, I remember one Monday night, and it's not a matter of being smart. I'm thinking, wait a minute. New England just beat this team – this is probably three, four years ago – it beat Miami, I think, 31 to nothing. Now they're going to Miami. New England's really looking good. Miami's looking average at best. And the line opened 11, and the Lemmings betted to like 14. And I remember I picked Miami, and they won outright. People were going, what a genius. No genius. I just honestly believe that there's no way New England, how are you gonna, how's Belichick going to say, we beat them 31 to nothing. We got to look out for them. These guys are tough. They're not going to listen to him. They're going to go down there, go through the motions, which is what they did. And at some point, the game gets out of hand. Again, my only concern was not a straight-up win, but the points. And if you do that, and I, I think I can do that. I've been very successful the last 20-something years, especially when I cut my picks down. But if you can logically look at situations like that and take those broken-down nags and not the secretariat, you're going to be in great shape. And again, uh, well, I'm, this morning, I'm extra redundant. <laughs> well, Danny, I wanted to ask you, what did the legalization of sports betting in America, or at least the Supreme Court lifting the, the federal ban, what did that do to your business? Did you get more clients? Did you get fewer clients? Did you get different types of clients? Like, How did that impact Danny Sheridan's world? Well, we definitely received more inquiries than, than we should. I don't mean this in the wrong way, but I take only a limited number of clients, which gets people real excited when they call and we tell them the truth. Hey, you're on a waiting list. If somebody doesn't drop out, you don't get in. And they go, oh, then they got, it's like, I, I don't, can't even give you an analogy, but it, and it's not a come on or anything like that. You can, you know, call my office or you can write us and say, I'd like to get in. I'll pay you a zillion dollars. And the answer is going to be when someone drops out, We'll let you in. I'm just I'm not taking the whole world on for a living. But yes, it's uh, the, I'd say, uh, probably more than tenfold the inquiries that we get as opposed to a typical offseason because betting's been legalized. And 
shows such as The Underdogs uh, have called, which in the past they've certainly called, but not as much as they have since the 2018 when the betting was legalized. I think I personally received, oh, I'm going to guess somewhere under 600 phone calls the minute the Supreme Court overturned the uh, betting ban. So, yes, a big impact. And uh, it makes it it's so stupid. I mean, I'm going back years ago, the Johnny Carson show one time he had a guest on and the guest said something like, they said, what do you think of the Monday night game? Well, I'm already down 14 to nothing. He was talking about the spread. But my point is, that was like really, you know, hush hush. And I want to point out something else to you. I have a good opinion. I went to the University of Alabama and I, and sports writers, they're brilliant. They're great writers at Sports Illustrated. These guys couldn't pick a game in the fourth quarter against the spread. So I got to meet a lot of them in Alabama. I don't I guess the statute of limitations is over. I was a campus bookmaker <laughs> and I really enjoyed that. And I would give up all the lucky I would give up all my business if I could be a bookmaker, a legal bookmaker, but back to Alabama. So I got to meet these guys at Sports Illustrated, and I would say to them, you know, Alabama's not going to beat Florida State. They're a 28-point favorite. And they'd tell me, Florida State's like they didn't win a game last year. And I'm thinking, these guys are idiots. I mean, they're brilliant writers. Anyway, Florida State tied Alabama 37-37. The point of the whole story was these guys at Sports Illustrated said, wait a minute, this guy's really good. I don't think I was good. I just smarter than them. It's what I apply. Anyway, they wrote an article about me. The Tomorrow Show called me. You guys probably never heard of The Tomorrow Show. Have you, Tom Snyder and The Tomorrow Show? Tom Snyder, sure. Well, he used to come on after. Anyway, they have on, it's perfect for me, they have on weirdos. They have on people that they had on <laughs> Crest and, and he couldn't do this. They had some guy named Uri Gellery, Ben Spoons, and he couldn't do it. Anyway, the producer of The Tomorrow Show saw this article about me. I was uh, working in real estate in Mobile, getting ready for law school, and they called me. And they said, hey, would you like to be on The Tomorrow Show? Hell, I've never, anyway, you can imagine, I was in shock. But I went on The Tomorrow Show. Thank God it was a big weekend for underdogs. And in front of a national audience, and again, I was the show was on after midnight. There's no way in hell. There was no Jimmy the Greek. Anybody, there was these guys. You couldn't mention a point spread on TV, and they're going to let me talk about point spreads and make handy and handicap so many games. It was the best season I've ever had in my life. I was seventeen, one and one. I've never even come close to that. Off of the national audience, you're laughing. Snyder staff said, "This is wonderful, but we can't have you putting up nineteen games." I said, "All right, let me pick my top six games, and I'll give them to you on Thursday night." Long story short. Uh, they said to me, hey, you got to pick the Jets and whoever the Jets were playing. I said, but I don't like the game. And by the way, I did pick that game. That was my only loss. They lost 50 to nothing. <laughs> but I won six out of seven. All you guys out there went, oh, my God, there's a guy talking about point spreads. And he's written up in Sports Illustrated, and he delivered. And so they came to Mobile, and that's when I started my business. I probably made more money the first week in business than I did my four or five years in real estate. That's pretty good. And the rest is history. So had they legalized it back then, you would have been given the 1230 AM time slot on the network TV show, clearly. Let me say this. That led to CNN. We did a show for 10 years on CNN. And I would go on and hand, and we beat ESPN in the ratings. And we had a, what I would call a, a schlock show. In other words, our lead-in was Science Today. 
and ESPN's <laughs> lead in is a is a sports thing. But we beat ESPN the ratings probably half the time, and that was impressive. And the reason being, it wasn't just me. I mean, we had a good show. It was because I was picking games against the spread, and they didn't even dare to do it. Uh, Ted Turner said, "Hey." Get that clown from Alabama. He didn't call me a clown. Get that yokel from Alabama. If he can pick games against the spread, we're a cable network. We can do anything. We can curse on the air. So I, I did that for 10 years, and I told him, I'll handicap your bet, you know, the big games of the week, and I'll probably do okay. But if you'll let me pick one game a week, and I won for 10 years in a row on TV, it didn't affect my business because we would tell our clients, hey, you're mad because Danny picks Vanderbilt, SMU. You hate putting the betting on those teams. But if you watch Danny on CNN and later on CBS, he's going to pick the big games of the week, Alabama, Ohio State. And they were very happy with that. So that's how I got around that. And then again, it was very lucky that I was given that shot. And very fortunate. Again, picking my worst season on, and it was terrible. I was probably, I'm guessing, 48% against the spread on the big games. But I finished six and five on my top picks. Not great, but still a winning percentage. But the other nine years were really solid. And then it led to CBS and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, hey, it beats working for a living, guys. And I don't mind it. Yeah, Danny, I've I've been calling you Danny this whole time. But I realize now on your bio that I should be calling you Lord Sheridan. Is that correct? <laughs> well, Lord Sheridan and Lord John Skipper, we were... Uh, I won't say baptized, but uh, we, we were given that title because we own a small piece of property about the size of a cinder block in uh, somewhere in England. So we we have Lord John Skipper, which you were not aware of. And then I put that on my bio as a judge. It's the truth, by the way. I have a proclamation that when you own a piece of property in England or Scotland or Ireland, you're considered to be a lord. And again, my property is probably, and John's property is probably 12 inches by 12 inches. But hey, we are a lord. Be respectful of lords. Can we, as a show, buy some very small piece of property and be lord underdog? That I don't know. I've never been called lord underdog. But again, when I pick <laughs> Vanderbilt against Alabama and they get smoked, people, which I love, people go, that Sheridan's a fraud. But if I get it right, they go, oh, he's a genius. I assure you, I'm not a fraud and I'm not a genius. Somewhere in the middle, I don't know what that is. But you will always be a lord on this show. Well, I don't listen. That's very kind of you. And it is kind of humorous. But what's scary is that people actually believe that. I mean, it's true that I do have the certificate, and so does John Skipper. But (laughs) we're not lords. But under their laws, because we own a small piece of property, that's the title that was given us. And by the way, (laughs) that won't get me or John a cup of coffee anywhere in this country. If Louisiana Monroe covers... I will always think of you and call you Lord Underdog. You can do that, but Louisiana Monroe, I'm not just saying this. It's like last year, Alabama opened up with, they beat the hell out of Miami, which I love. And and part of me wanted to see them beat the hell out of Texas, even though I picked Texas, because I wanted Louisiana Monroe so bad. But Alabama beat (laughs) Miami opening game last year. They came home to either Louisiana Monroe or Mercer or somebody, like 50-point favorites. And next week, sandwich game Alabama's playing Florida on the road so I was I mean I just love that game there was a game I was going to bet and Alabama by the way beat the hell out of them the first half like I don't know 40 to nothing final score 48-14 Alabama a big cover for my clients 
Louisiana Monroe would be just the same exact, I'd have the same feelings if they weren't playing Vanderbilt. But I'm telling you right now, it's either pick Louisiana Monroe or pass the game. I don't care what the score is. I know that's the right thing to do. But I'm not going to back off that game. I just don't know how I'm going to rate it. Again, let me say this. Betting on college football. Well, betting on football can be hazardous to one's wealth. So don't get too carried away. Well, thank you for that disclaimer. I appreciate that. Excellent. Yes. We've had a bunch of guests on this show, but uh, I can't say I had more fun on any other one besides this one. That was really great. Thank you so much, Danny, Lord Sheridan. I appreciate you coming on. (laughs) Very kind. And I'm sorry that I was rather garrulous this morning, garrulous, but uh, you guys got me worked up and it's just one of those things and I'm trying to preserve my voice. But no, I really enjoyed it. And I'm sorry I didn't hear more from you because I wanted to punish you on the New York Giants, but I don't have time right now. But do have a good coach. I know him. He was a, I met him when he was at Alabama, offensive coordinator. He's a good guy. He's relate to the, he relates to the players. But I'd say the Giants are probably mm, two to three drafts away before he can turn it around. I mean, they just they just really don't have a lot of good players. I mean, they have okay players. Does that, do you agree with that or you think they're a good team? Yes. Not only do we agree we think it's an improvement from being an infinite number of years away, which is what the Giants were when they were getting zero good players through the draft per year. So that's a huge improvement. You're correct. This has been our pleasure. This is fantastic. Thank you. Well, it's very been my pleasure, too. I appreciate it. And again, hopefully it uh, wasn't too boring for you. And I'm sorry I didn't... Uh, it's Wednesday, and I really I can't. I, it's probably about fifty college games. Well, at twenty college <laughs> games that I could tell I'm looking at. But you got the idea. You take a you take a favorite, you're in big trouble. And the same in the pros. And the same if you bet a lot of games. I love it. All right. Remember the blackjack example. That's our mission statement. That's our tagline now. That's kind of our motto. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take the favorite. A totally rational reason for rooting for underdogs. Yes. Not all underdogs has got to have several things have to come into place. It could be a sandwich game. They destroyed them last year. They being the favorite, they're looking ahead. They're just, and if you put all that together and they all, they all match, that's one of my picks and they'll win more than they'll lose. And again, if I were betting, could I support myself betting? No way in hell. I don't think I could. I'd be emotional. And again, there's nothing wrong with betting. I think it's great. It's not like you're doing it. You're selling crack cocaine. I, I could never understand when I was in college. Friends of mine would say to me, I mean, what would you rather do if you had a son or a daughter, a son in college? And the dean calls you and goes, he's booking bets or he's selling cocaine. I mean, to me, it's no comparison. <laughs> The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Maybe you think the Celtics aren't so great. Maybe you think minus 200 is not a fair price for them to win the East. Maybe you're looking at an underdog in the West, like Dallas or Minnesota. Either way, hop on the DK Sportsbook app. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code LAF. That's code LAF for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877 8 
Hope NY or text Hope NY. That's 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we got our pups of the week, the dogs of the week, and coming off the heels of that interview, I don't know what to believe anymore. I, I'm now looking at sandwiches. I'm now looking at division rivals. I'm now grabbing some dice and throwing them. I want indictments to come down for the Chicago Board of Trade. Yeah. I mean, he just blew my mind, no pun intended. Yes. I'm looking back into going back to college and selling crack. Yeah. Can I just ask a quick question? Because the, our talk with Danny was so great, are you just going to slide right by the underdog pick of last week that worked out the best and craziest of all? Of course, I'm talking about... Seattle. Seattle picked by one of us to do better this season. Oh, don't do this. And also picked by one of us last week to beat the spread and to win outright in our Pups of the Week. Is anyone going to just mention the fact that Seattle played so great? I don't really know what you're bragging about since I also won with an underdog, underdog, season-long dog. And also, I believe I had the first pick in the draft. Told you guys the Steelers were going to cover, and they did. Wow. So you're saying that your teams have quarterbacks as outstanding as Geno and managed the game in the waning seconds as well as Seattle did to secure that victory? All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, when they drugged Nathaniel Hackett, that was a good move. (laughs) Wait a minute. Peter, are you saying you picked the Seahawks to cover the spread in your underdog's dog of the week draft? Because I'm looking at the draft here and it shows you pick Las Vegas and the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, did I? Was it the Raiders? I guess I'm just talking about for the year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, a little bit of fact checking here. In fact, I think Peter had zero points last week. Is that correct? He did. Meanwhile, Tom jumped on the Bears plus seven. I took the Steelers plus six and a half. Not only did we get the one point for the cover, We got the additional one point for an outright win, which gives us a healthy two-point lead over last place, Peter. I don't understand that Bears game at all. I really don't. It was in a monsoon. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's true. The 49ers were starting a first, basically a rookie quarterback. There were agents of chaos. That is true. But man, the Bears. Yeah, I'm still burnt. Darnell Mooney, not happy about that output from him. I mean, Allen Robinson didn't do well either for the Rams, so... Oh, what the hell? And all the Moors. Your obsession with avoiding Allen Robinson. Look what happened. One of the weird facets of our underdogs uh, picks. Was I wrong? Can you point out the lies? Who picks first this week? Tom is up first, then you, and then I've got the uh, back-to-back picks. So let's get it going. So every week we are picking dogs to do really well. Not just any dog. We need dogs that are three and a half point underdogs or longer. And this week, we got a full slate. I think 11 teams are there for the picking. Um, And last week, uh, Jordan, like you said, we each got two points because one for covering, two for outright win. And then the third point, which we did not get, um, is for picking an underdog who's a seven and a half point underdog that actually wins. Neither of our teams, Chicago or 
um, Pittsburgh were quite seven and a half point underdogs. We didn't get the third point, but this is all to say, Peter, you give a big fat zero on your scoreboard and now you have to make up some points here. So we have 11 games to choose from. We got the chargers plus four and a half. And this is on DraftKings As we are recording this chargers plus four and a half dolphins plus three and a half Atlanta plus 10 and a half Seattle plus nine and a half Dallas eight point underdogs, Houston plus 10, Arizona plus six, Chicago plus nine and a half, Tennessee plus 10, Jacksonville plus four, and the Jets at plus six is what I had. So with the first pick, drum roll, please. Taking Jacksonville plus four at home. We have our friend Chris Raybon over at the Action Network talking about how the Dogs, the short dogs coming off a loss are pretty good bets. And Jacksonville, one of my underdog teams of the season, I kind of feel like I'm doubling down here. What do you guys think about this one? I would have made that pick myself right now if you hadn't taken them. Short dogs, underdogs who are uh, plus six or fewer coming off a loss. So teams that the market is reacting against, but that are still good enough to be within a touch, you know, within six points, according to the point spread are 64, 32, and 3 uh, over the, since 2005. They've been profitable every year since 2016. Yes. Jacksonville kind of threw that game away, but I, you know, I think they're a rapidly improving team. So I think that's a great pick. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Would you like to take the second pick here? Oh, well, I guess I have to. And since you took my short dog, I'm going to go with the deep underdog. I'm going to take Tennessee – Plus 10 against Buffalo. Yes, the Super Bowl favorite of everybody's, justifiably so. However, if you like, I got to go for broke because as these guys keep saying, I am massively behind in this game. So I'm going with a deep underdog. And basically, every other team that's uh, plus nine or above is facing a team that had a, a big favorite that happened to have a terrible week last week, like Green Bay or Denver or the Rams. Um, who are all embarrassed in one way or another and have everything to play for. So this is a Danny Sheridan theory pick. We're picking a deep underdog on the road against a team that crushed it last week. And, I mean, Tennessee, if you look at the range that Tennessee is likely to play in, they played, they played pretty horribly last week. Den- Derrick Henry held to what, Jordan, 82 yards? Don't you think Derrick Henry is going to come out and want to prove he can run for 200 yards this week? which will have the added benefit of slowing this game down and grinding it out against Buffalo. And uh, lost last week on a missed field goal at the last second. I think they will be highly motivated. So all those Danny Sheridan reasons we just heard, the road dog with the emotion gap going their way, I will take Tennessee plus 10. Sheridan special. So what's interesting about this one, and, and, and you're targeting the big spreads, is this could be a historic week for big point spreads. Depending on what happens with the Packers-Bears game, which I see at 9.5 right now, and the Seattle-San Francisco game, which I also see at 9.5, you could have five games with a point spread of 10 or more. I actually looked at um, the last 10 years how in week two teams that were favored by 10 or more did uh, because my theory was that people would overreact to what they saw in week one. Mm -hmm. Spreads would be inflated. It would be a good time to go on underdogs. Well, there were only first of all, there were only 14 instances – in the last 10 years of a team being favored by 10 or more in week two. 1.4 per season. That's pretty good math, by the way. I just want to let you all know, 14 divided by 10. I just did that off the top of my head. I mean, that's why we have the show. 
And then so yeah, and we got we could have five this year to show you just how out of whack it is. The favorite went twelve and two over uh, straight up, just just two underdog outright wins in that time who were uh, ten point or more dogs. Uh, the underdogs actually went eight and six against the spread, but it's not it wasn't as pronounced as I thought it would be. There's not as much of an edge as I expected. So I don't know. Maybe we have a better really do have a better idea early on who's terrible. What do you guys think? Well, I think even if even if those numbers hold up. We could still be looking at Green Bay, Denver, the Rams, maybe the 49ers covering those huge spreads. So it makes me more comfortable in picking one and saying this isn't, you know, this isn't like Tennessee's not the only team where the spread's that big where you'd have to, you know, bet on them to buck history. We could, you know, we could still see favorites, big favorites cover. All right. So I've got back to back picks here. Yeah. Yes, sir. I am going to go the opposite of Danny Sheridan and the opposite of, of quite frankly, what I was thinking about this team for much of the offseason. And I am going to take uh, the Bears plus nine and a half ah, wow. at Green Bay. I get all the reasons why Green Bay should be up for this game. It's home, division rival. They were absolutely embarrassed last week. Their backs are to the wall, yada, yada, yada. Here's the thing. Until I see... Someone on that team able to get separation and be a real target for Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure I can believe in that offense. And if I can't believe in that offense, I can't lay nine and a half points. I I know Chicago basically won in a monsoon last week. I don't exactly believe in Justin Fields yet. I don't think the team has a ton of talent, even though I do have them uh, on the over total in our in our year long pool. But I think nine and a half is just too high with what we saw out of the Packers. So I'm going to ignore Danny and go with the Bears plus nine and a half. Yeah, I was going to go there, too, because of the monsoon. I think uh, the agent of chaos is too big to get a read on the on the Bears. And so I feel like a nine and a half point deficit, that spread is way too big for that that matchup. So I, I like that. And you get the extra boost of being over seven and a half points. So that's that's a great value play in my book. I was a good I was going to go with Chicago there, too. And then my next pick, unfortunately, I can't make my favorite pick of the week because it's the spread's only one and a half. But I don't see how in this world Pittsburgh is getting one and a half points at home against the Patriots. Uh, Patriots looked like garbage last week. Pittsburgh looked, you know, they they beat the Bengals on the road. That's something. I, I, I'm I'm clearly missing something there. But that game's off the board. So instead, I'm going to pivot to back to Danny Sheridan territory, and I'm going to go with the team that was absolutely embarrassed at home last week. Also fits the Raybon method of a team that's a, a six-point dog or less. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals getting six points at the Raiders. Uh, I'm hoping this is just an overreaction, that the Cardinals can't possibly be as bad as they looked against the Chiefs last week. I don't know what to think of the Raiders yet. They hung close with the Chargers, but I could see this being a field goal game either way. Give me Kyler Murray on the road, Cardinals getting six. Okay, so that's Peter is next, huh? It's funny because when you said a team that looked horrible last week, uh, playing at home, uh, going with Sheridan and with Rayvon, I thought you were going to talk about the New York Jets. Um, Of the short – look, talk about short dogs. Dogs that lost and failed to cover the spread over the last 15 years have covered the spread two-thirds of the time in week two. And of the teams that we have available, I'm talking about do- short dogs, like where the spread is six or less in week two. Um, of the teams 
that are left to pick, um, who's a better team that got more embarrassed? There should be, got to be some kind of mathematical quotient, like who played so far below expectations that's still on the board? I think the answer is the New York Jets. I think things are getting a little chippy a little early for the Jets. They did look terrible, but there were flashes there of what they could see, and their defense hung tough. And they're, they were playing last week the team that I think is going to be the Super Bowl champion, the Baltimore Ravens. So um, I think this week we will take the Jets. Are the Jets five and a half or six-point underdogs right now? I see six on DraftKings at the moment. Well, at Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland, eh. You're going to go against Jacoby Brissett, huh? <laughs> if forced to, I'd rather not. I'd rather say I'm going against Jacoby Brissett than saying I'm going with or for Joe Flacco. No, I hate to say it, Peter. I was I was debating between that and Arizona, too. It's it's not a bad pick. Big week for our underdog breakout candidate, Elijah Moore, coming up. I mean, he did throw a couple of blocks as well as make one or two excellent catches. But you can see you can see Wilson out there, and you can see in the last five minutes of the game, they remember they had two new tight ends. I mean, there's uh, there are flashes of interesting stuff going on with the Jets, enough for me to take them to cover. All right, Tom, what do you got for us? Tennessee's off the board. Chicago's off the board. Jacksonville's off the board. Arizona and the Jets are off the board. That's about the size of it. With the final pick... Of the dogs of the week, I'm going to take Houston plus 10 at Denver. Now, let me tell you something, okay? They might have tied last week, but I love this stat that I uncovered this morning. Over the last three seasons since 2019, according to NBC Sports Edge betting tool, previous money line results, win. Previous spread result, win. And you're still an underdog? If you bet the money line on that underdog, you would have won $4,043. That's huge. And I know the Texans didn't actually win the money line last week because they, they tied, but that's a lot of value. And against the spread, they are 54% in this situation, in this circumstance. I am going to go with the Texans here because basically that's a win for them last week. And I do have them in my season-long underdog. And so, yeah, maybe I'm picking my favorites here with Jacksonville and Houston, but I'm going against the Denver Broncos uh, seeking revenge after that heartbreaking loss uh, in epic fashion down the stretch there. Um, I'm going to still go with the Texans here. Plus 10. I went with a short dog with the Jacksonville Jaguars at plus four, and I'm going to go with a long one here. Plus 10, Houston Texans. So I got Jacksonville and Houston in my season long and in my dogs of the week. Doubling down, baby. We don't really know how Nathaniel Hackett is baked into these lines yet either in his uh, late game decision making. Well, I think he's not because the spread is 10. And I was just thinking that too. Like how many, you know, usually coaches' decisions have an effect on the game, but in terms of winning or losing, it's usually a little marginal, right? But how many games this year you think coaching that bad could cost a team it's like it's 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 probably substantial as long as that guy's around making those kinds of decisions they're gonna have a chance to lose or at least at least not dominate an opponent i mean geez wasn't that one of the strangest things you've ever seen truly yes and also it was not just strange because of the decision but because um coaches usually do a ridiculous job with timeouts to get to that point but this was a whole other level hoarding the timeouts just to use them when time was running out of the game was even more weird to me than the decision 
to kick. But that decision was weird too. And I also think what's what's really strange is it goes against what you think a rookie coach would intuitively do, which is to say, let the quarterback throw it. Like, here's my guy. We're paying him all this money. He's the superstar. He's the new focal point of the team. Like, Russell, you go make the decision. You go execute the play. That's what you think human nature would lead somebody to do. And, and he's done it before plenty of times. I don't understand it from any perspective. And this has been talked about a lot online, but this is he's part of this younger generation that, you know, the Madden generation, they call it, right? That's supposed to have been better at clock management, like because like we did, grew up playing video game after video game after video game and figuring out how to best use your timeouts and how to leave the right amount of time on the clock and when to kick a field goal versus when to go for it. And I mean, man, that was an epic. And then after the game for the decision to be for his explanation to be, I felt like we had a better chance. I mean, there could have been like something like, you know, Brandon McManus was hitting from 65 in practice under these conditions or whatever, or blah, blah. It could have been something or, you know, Russell's elbow hurt. I mean, but I, I felt like, I mean, I felt like it. That was, that was crazy. Crazy. Remember when the Giants blocked Philadelphia from acquiring Brandon McManus and Denver pounced on him to acquire him because he had such a huge booming leg and he was going to hit these kind of field goals in the thin air of Mile High Stadium. It kind of hasn't panned out. Well, don't talk to me about kickers because I already lost a survival pool entry thanks to Rodrigo Blankenship, who's now been cut by the Colts. Great classes, though. And it was really, I mean, God, that Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game was insane. So what a fun week for underdogs in general, more than half of my survival pool is out. Like, what a great start to our podcast. Well, you have a couple of points in the in the in the race. So, yes, it is. It's been a fine start for you. Very jealous, Peter. First time he's ever been jealous of Jordan. Our podcast yeah. <laughs> is about underdogs, and when has there ever been a better week for underdogs? Crazy games and some good redemptive end of the game stories, like when when Boswell's field goal attempt literally clanged off the goalpost. But then like five minutes later, he had a chance to kick another 50-yarder to win the game. That was pretty cool. Pretty cool for, for that underdog triumph. And there were a whole bunch of other ones too. You're right. Well, let's switch to the college gridiron here because all the eyes in college football are on the state of North Carolina right now. And I'm not talking about NC State. I'm not talking about Carolina. Not even talking about Wake Forest right now. Duke. You're talking about Duke. What? Do they have a football program? I believe they've produced the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now, Daniel Jones. Wow. That should disqualify you from any uh, appearances here henceforth on this program. Daniel Jones stuck around long enough to have a week where he gained more fantasy points than Aaron Rodgers. So that is some career threshold of success. No matter what happens from now on, last week he had more fantasy points than Aaron Rodgers in one week. Doubt them all you want. I still believe. I don't know what else I can say that's even mildly positive. I was looking for clips from Animal House where Karen Allen yells out, Boone, Boone, but I I couldn't find one. But yes, we are headed to Boone, North Carolina. Are we going to college game day too? We should go to college game day. The home of the underdog of the year, already a famous underdog program, Appalachian State. Guys, again, what a start to underdog football season with that upset. Yeah, so App State is kind of like the little brother of North Carolina, like football schools. They beat Michigan a few years back, and that was that kind of put the school on the map, so to speak, and now part of the Sun Belt Conference. They had a great week. Um, App State is a plucky underdog, and I love the storyline, guys, that they beat Texas A&M, 
And then they stole college game day away from them. A&M was supposed to have <laughs> college game day against Miami. And ESPN said, yoink, stole it right from underneath them and went not only to another location, but went to the team that beat them. They're going to Boone, which it's a great mountain town. It was a great clip of the the whole like stu- the campus rush into the downtown that went viral. Um, I, it's a cool underdog story. I should point out here though, they lost to Carolina 63 to 61 in week one as the favorite. So it can't, it's not so plucky of an underdog, but I feel like the name app state people think it's this out of nowhere Cinderella story when they in fact were favored against an ACC team. Okay. You can win bar bets with this of all FBS schools that have played in at least one bowl which state, which school has the best winning percentage in bowls? And the answer is App State has won five out of the six bowls they've played in since they moved to the FBS, which is a better winning percentage than any other program in the country. So that's kind of cool. I'll say one other thing. Uh, now, maybe other schools do this. I really don't know. But this, this seemed really loathsome to me. There's clips online of the Texas A&M yell practice. That's right. They gather the fans and then then some, I presume it's a student guy with a bullhorn, starts screaming the cheers that they want the fans to yell during the game. And the Texas A&M prepared chants were all about how App State was a bunch of hillbillies. Just, 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 just wrong, completely wrong. So um, after I saw that clip, I was like, you know, this upset couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of guys. So go App State, great underdog story. Not, you're right, not as plucky as people might think, but great underdog win. Here's why it's not as great an underdog story as it should be. There were two top 10 upsets last week. Damn it. Appalachian State over Texas A&M and Marshall beat Notre Dame. And if this were a great sport like college basketball, (laughs) we would be (laughs) following these guys all along waiting for them to then really, really make their mark in the NCAA tournament. It reminds me a little bit of our favorite conference last year with North Texas and UAB. What was that? The NCUSA, right? Yes. Not the NCUSA, the CUSA. I said in CUSA, jackass. Do you want us to pause a moment while you chase some squirrels off your lawn? (laughs) Here's the problem. Marshall and Appalachian State are in the East Division of the Sun Belt Conference. They have to play each other. And even if one of those teams goes on, if let's say Marshall goes on to an undefeated season, there's no, they're done. They're not getting in the playoff. There's no chance to show that beating Notre Dame wasn't a fluke, that they could compete with anyone. So these big upsets are great as a one-shot thing, but they they ultimately don't lead anywhere. I'm hoping that when we go to a 12-team playoff, there's going to be more of an opportunity for teams like this to then use these as a, these types of upsets as a catapult to, to getting in that mix. Well, you'll notice in the proposal to go to 12 teams, uh, six of the entrants are specified, right, by being conference winners, and the other six are not. And, and I actually, instead of specifying like mid-majors explicitly or whatever you want to call them, you know, sub four or five top best conferences in the country, they left it open. I, fa- I thought that was interestingly, like, 
vague on purpose just for this reason. Yeah, these teams aren't going to get a, an invite. They're just right. going to go to the the second best team in each power conference and they're going to be left, you know, even if you have an undefeated Marshall team, they're not going to get any love. Or this year shows us exactly why those teams should get a chance and things will open up to teams outside the top six or seven programs in the country precisely because there are more slots now. I mean, that's what we have to hope, right? Yeah, like Bama is definitely vulnerable and uh, we already saw Notre Dame. They're not even ranked anymore. So it seems like an open party, but only for, you know, the Danny Sheridan exclusive VIP folks. You know, there's a line to get in and, you know, one in and one out. Are you making cocaine references again? Yeah. Basically, the committee saying kick rocks to, to Marshall. Wow. If App State doesn't get in, that would really blow. We opened the college season a couple of weeks ago talking about how formulaic the the preseason rankings were in terms of predicting who's ultimately in the playoff and how hard it is to come from out of the polls or even sort of outside of the top 15 or so to make the playoff. And then I think our theory was it might even the gap might even widen more because the the transfer portal and the name image likeness stuff allows you to a financially incentivize the best players to come to the biggest schools and b replace players who leave quickly by poaching really good players from other schools. I'm wondering if what we've seen early this season in terms of chaos, near chaos, big upsets, close games, it makes you rethink any of our sort of big picture takes on where underdogs are in college football right now. Well, I do wonder if if smaller schools or potential underdogs can build cultures strong enough that they are more resistant to uh, the effects of the portal than programs that are essentially completely professionalized, where roster spots are totally fungible and players are free agents. Now, App State only lost two players to the portal this year after a pretty good year last year. One was their backup quarterback, and another guy was a player whose father got a coaching job and he wanted to go play with his dad. So... It's not like it's not like a team like App State, if they can develop talent, is going to lose that talent necessarily to the next rung above. But I think you would, Jordan, would probably say, how how many programs can that possibly define around the country? Can it really be like a second tier of pretty good underdog schools that just develop their own programs and keep their players? I don't know. Well, I think we have an opportunity here to see a power five contender who's really an, a plucky underdog. Oh, no. Come in, run the oh, table God. in the ACC and oh. get into that conversation. You know what I'm saying? If you're picking up what I'm putting down. Are you talking about Duke again? No, no, no. They can't run the table. It's Duke. OK, let's be honest. I mean, I just feel like they're being underrated. There was a column in uh, in the papers that I saw that uh, from the you know News and Observer here in North Carolina that said that App State is now um, the best college football program in North Carolina and didn't even mention Wake Forest, which put the smackdown on Vandy. And I know Danny doesn't believe Vandy's in the SEC. He doesn't really consider them a, a, a real SEC team. But still, we got Sam Hartman back, our Heisman Trophy winning prediction. Quarterback is back into the fold after a, a blood clot that he uh, he has now overcome, and he's back in the fold. Wake Forest coming up against Liberty, and then they got a big game week four against Clemson, which I think hopefully will be on game day. Guys, this is all to say, we're crashing the party. 
We're the plucky underdog. Go Deeks. I am just, you are announcing that you're going against Danny Sheridan because he didn't think Vanderbilt was a worthy opponent. And the next team, I just want to make sure I have this correct. The next team Wake Forest has up is Liberty. Oh, wait, Liberty was good last year. Don't tell me that. Yeah, then they lost their, they they lost lost their, their quarterback. quarterback to the NFL draft. Yeah, you can't laugh at Liberty anymore. By the way, I may never root for Wake Forest harder than I do this weekend against that school. So please, yeah, punish them. Sure. And then you're going to the Clemson game, is that right? Yep. Got early soccer with my daughter, and then we are making the trip over to Winston-Salem, and we're going to watch Clemson. So I'm just saying, if you were like a really nice fun co-host you might invite your other co-hosts down to do yeah, like underdogs a, underdogs game day. Uh, underdogs on the road show from the stadium road, tailgate, road dogs. tailgate with the haverstros i would do it if you guys didn't eye roll your eyes to the back of your head every time i talked about wake forest if you had backed me and jumped on the bandwagon when i was taking i was taking orders i was bringing the doors were open to jump on the bandwagon and all i hear about is daniel jones this and usc that did you invite will zalatoris and alondis <laughs> williams to join you wait wait did you just say usc that yeah, your boys at usc <laughs> Well, I've now become associated with picking USC. Well, you know what? That's all right because I've always seen you as a Trojan guy, Peter. They're gonna run the table. Yeah, uh, <laughs> beat you to it, Jordan. Sorry, you sure did. We're not just rolling our eyes; we're hoarding facts to bring up to change the subject when Wake Forest comes up. For example, Danny Sheridan said, "Here's a game where you either don't pick it or pick the underdog." The biggest spread I can find this week. That's right. Louisiana Monroe plus 49 and a half against Alabama. I, I say we get on board. I, we, they, they've got, I mean, Alabama is uh, just what, just one by one point. Like they did, they look vulnerable and next week. They, and they got, I think they have like five SEC opponents coming up in a row, right? You like the hangover. You like the hangover match. Rather than the angry, the angry tide. And we looked up, I looked this up and the Louisiana Monroe mascot is Ace the Warhawk. And he he looks like a guy we could definitely get behind. Ace is leading the Warhawks. That's my that's my pick. Not War Eagle, Warhawks. Warhawks. Wow. Well, just so you know, long dogs, long dogs of fifteen points or longer. Week three college football. zero and twenty three in the money line. The money line. The last two years. 0-23. So the idea that there's going to be another week of huge upsets like we saw this past week with Marshall and Ruff. Is that Ruff. a long dog in the background? That's a short dog barking in the background, yes. Deep underdogs, week three the last two years, 9-14 and 14 against the spread uh, over the last two seasons. And over the last five seasons, it is a 42.5 win percentage on, against the spread. For the underdog, which means you might have to pull an anti-Sheridan, fade the Sheridan here, and go with the favorite at 57.5% win rate against the spread in big favorite. It also suggests that what Jordan was saying before, which is that um, how long do we expect the chaos of week one to last, which generally you know, a lot of chaos means a lot more 50-50 games, which means a lot more success for underdogs, at least against the spread. That may that may have faded by week three. If, if underdogs, deep underdogs, are only winning 
what, 40, 45% against the spread, then maybe the market by then has actually factored in enough information to say, yes, team A is 30 or 40 or 50 points better than team B. And we're not just guessing because the favorite looks really good and it's the first week of the season. So that's, that's actually not good. As you said, that's not a good omen for all this magic to continue. All right. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to say go Troy. Beat the Mountaineers. Go Troy. It's like a line from High School Musical. Thank you for listening to Underdogs. Go catch Jordan at Jordan Brenner on Twitter and at Peter Keating NJ, not MJ, on Twitter. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. Until next time on Underdogs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.